Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We have some very interesting flight data that showed that the aircraft dropped uh, off radar very, very quickly with a very small, quick descent and then nothing. And so investigators are going to go back and look and make sure that terrorism is not involved. It's not the most likely scenario at this point, but it's definitely a possibility. All right, that's Steve Ganyard, retired U.S. Marine pilot. Just giving us uh, one of the key points in this Indonesian uh, airline that went down, costing 189 souls their lives. But uh, there are a lot of questions, rampant speculation as to uh, how this could happen. And in these instances, we always uh, enlist the help of our aviation expert at Global News Radio, Jock Williams. Jock, how are you doing this afternoon? Very well, John. Yourself? Likewise, likewise. Good. By the way, this was Lion Air, as I understand it, a discount carrier. What do you hear? What do you yeah. know about these people? Well, I think something that we have to think about is just because we in Toronto haven't ever seen a Lion Air airplane. It's a big enough company that within the last few months, they've bought 10 $58 million airplanes, and they have quite a fleet already of a little bit less expensive. So they they got good financial backing, and there's no reason to think that they're a second-rate organization. People don't understand that ICAO make sure that everybody meets the standard or they don't get to operate internationally. And Transport Canada has the right to examine the records and the training and so on of any company that flies into Canada. But we count upon the other countries that Lion flies into. I don't believe they fly to Canada. But in any country that accepts them has the right to inspect them, and we count upon that happening. All right. What you're saying is there are international standards, and uh, if they want to fly anywhere outside of their own neighborhood, they best meet them. Exactly. And you can trust me that in any organization of that size, it has every, uh, how can I say, every intention in the world of meeting the standard. So I wouldn't worry about the fact that it's a discount carrier. Uh, But there are some interesting details about the the flight itself that, that sort of trouble me. One of them that was mentioned, and I I didn't hear the Marine that was talking uh, before me, but one of them was that they didn't do a particularly smooth climb out as they were going to the maximum altitude that they reached. Instead, it was uh, sort of, they changed speeds, they changed altitude, they changed speeds, they changed altitude. And generally, we try to make it as smooth as we can. So they may have been encountering some form of airspeed indicator problem. And this airplane had encountered that within the last few days. But it's a relatively new plane, as I understand it. It was a Boeing 737, uh, 2017 vintage. That's correct, and it's the most recent model. It's the MAX 8, and that's the most recent model of the 737, which is the most common jet airliner in the world. But this is a very much upgraded from the one that you flew in in 1965. It's a magnificent airplane, and uh, the number of months they've had possession of the aircraft, they've flown it a couple thousand hours, and that's enough time to to work out any delivery bugs that that came with the plane, so it shouldn't be something like that. Well, this was early morning, too, if I understand correctly. Is there a difference between, say, uh, taking off in the early morning or at night? 
Well, not really, though. In the early morning in the tropics, uh, it's cooler, and jet engines perform better when it's cooler. So I would count upon an airplane being better off rather than worse off in the morning, but I don't know the actual temperature at the time. And, but it shouldn't matter. You know, these, these planes are capable of flying uh, internationally and meeting the weather conditions anywhere. So I don't think you'll find that it's a weather-related problem, at least not at takeoff. And they did, they did fly far enough and, and high enough that the plane essentially had been working. But, of course, anything can go wrong in an instant. But the fact that they asked for a return and did not declare an emergency, if they'd been having a fire or if they'd lost an engine, they would have made that clear to the air traffic control authorities. So we have to assume that they thought it was a minor difficulty that they could handle internally within the cockpit of the airplane uh, and they had not declared an emergency and said, we're in trouble here, get us uh, priority handling. All right, so mechanical problems. You were saying that uh, there had been some previously. Was it with yeah, this? Not, not mechanical problems, airspeed indicator problems. Ah. And the airspeed indicator has accounted for quite a number of crashes in the last 20, 25 years. Quite often what happens is the two pilots are looking at their instruments, and one says, I'm only indicating 180, and the other guy says, no, mine says 210. And then they have to resolve which one is right, because only one airspeed indicator can be correct if there's a variation. Hmm. Then you pick that one and you say, we'll use it for the remainder of this flight. And theoretically, you've got the, the whole thing beat. But one problem that we don't seem to have done enough of in recent years is practicing what we call partial panel flying. That is where you purposely, in the simulator, turn off or, or make invalid several instruments, and the pilots have to figure out what it is that is correct among all the information that's being presented to them. You know, all those dials up in front, we really don't read them all the time. But if one of them is markedly different from another between the two cockpits, the left and the right side, that's often uh, a serious problem. How much experience did these pilots have? The captain had 6,000 hours of flying time and the co-pilot had 5,000, and that's more than enough for anybody to master any aircraft type that he's flying. You know, if they had 600 and 500, I might be a little worried, but 6,000 and 5,000 is, is excellent experience. You know, I'm kind of curious. I mean, I think this has surfaced before. As a matter of fact, it was a story that took root uh, during the Malaysian airline disappearance that we yes. still haven't resolved, and that's whether or not with the computer technology now, can some of that ever be hacked or hijacked? You know, it's funny. My wife is always saying this to me. I don't believe it can be, to tell you the truth. But the, the reason being, there's there's what we call airspace between the computer and the airplane. There, there's no way that somebody on a landline uh, computer here in Canada can get in touch with that particular airplane and move its controls around or do anything like that. And I'm pretty sure that the aircraft designers are going to continue to make sure that that's not a possibility. But if you had a chance to mess with an airplane for a period of time, you could probably hook up the automatic pilot to your computer and get it to take commands from it. I don't believe that that's ever happened yet. Mm. And I, I think that we're taking every precaution, but that's something that you got to think about. Not a reassuring thought. Again, Jock Williams is that's Global it. News Radio aviation expert. So now when uh, the recovery is underway, uh, no longer a search uh, or yeah. uh, rescue message, but is the black box almost uh, that is 
like the most uh, qualified thing to tell us what might have yeah. happened, or are there other clues? Well, it, the black box is the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder should, barring anything really unforeseen, should tell us everything we need to know about what was going on. That's presupposing that it works and it survived the impact, but the chances of that are excellent. So that within a few days, one would expect that divers would be down, they'd recover those two things, and they're always in the back of the airplane, which is the last to hit and the least destroyed. Often the tail of an airplane is the only intact, recognizable piece of an airplane. But that's where they keep those things, and uh, divers should be able to recover them, and they can be read, and we should have the information. It, it would be really unusual if something uh, didn't work in that regard. By the way, uh, that is one of those uh, travel tips that not many people uh, will tell you about or know about. If you're going to book a seat, book it in the back of the plane. You're more apt yeah. to survive in a disaster. That's right. Nobody's ever backed into a mountain yet. <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, I've got to ask you, I know we've talked on previous occasions about this uh, averted disaster by the Air Canada plane coming into San Francisco. Yeah, and, but we haven't spoken since this report came out and uh, the corresponding pictures. This plane was 20 feet above the other taxiing plane or parked plane on the runway. And in terms of travel time, that's what, a matter of just a second? <laughs> Oh, way less than a second. It would be a, a, it would be less than a thirtieth of a second. So they were very close. There's no question. But a miss is as good as a mile. They say close only counts in nukes and grenades. <laughs> but but th- this was close. You know, there's no question wow. about it. A nanosecond and more, and we'd have uh, one of the biggest airline disasters in history. That is right. If everybody that was on those planes had perished, that would have been the biggest. But, uh, you know, if we start dropping planes in at 189 people each, it doesn't take long to, to reach a serious number. It's, it's dreadful that this uh, has such an impact. Must say amen to that. Uh, it's on the other side of the world, but uh, it's something still that cuts close to home for everybody who takes a plane. You know, it's just uh, something right. to bear in and, mind. And wait until the first Airbus A380 with 500 people on board goes in. I mean, that's they say that everyone in the world would know somebody who knew somebody that was on that plane. You know, that's how it spreads out across the continents and across the world. When there's that many people, you'll know somebody or you'll know someone who does. And when is that slated to, to, to launch? Oh, it's flying already. They oh, it is. In the Toronto, sure. They, because they're coming from the sandbox, and uh, the, a lot of the people out there have a lot of money, they're not cramming 500 people into their 380s, but they could if they wanted to. And fi- 500 plus, I can't give you the exact number. Right, and two stories, basically. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And it's a wonderful airplane. It's doing very, very well. Okay, well, <laughs> good so, enough. Uh, if you don't mind, you know, sitting... Uh, beside 530 other people. Well, in those planes, you're not so close beside them. They're, they're huge. You Are they? Take a look at one. Oh, yeah, they're wow. big. Right, and, and safe, because I guess of their uh, their girth and their uh, length and all the rest, right? Well, you're further away from metal, it's going to come in and punch you if, if you hit something. <laughs> in reality, the bigger the airplane, the safer you are. I guess, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't have to worry about a bird strike, that's just a blip no, on the radar. that's for true. All right, Jock, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, putting some uh, perspective to this whole thing. It's sad, sad and tragic. Always talking to you, John. Sorry, it's always about these disasters. Seems to be, yeah, we'll have to find a pleasure pleasant occasion a plane yeah, landed safely at pearson let's talk about yeah, have it a party yeah all right i'm good all right we'll talk next time thanks john there you go jock williams global news radio aviation expert
and they still haven't found that Malaysian airline uh, that went down. You know, they scoured the bottom of the Indian Ocean, and uh, all kinds of theories took took root that, you know, this plane landed in Tibet, nobody knows about it, and uh, yada, yada, yada. There are conspiracy theorists going over Google Earth with, a, like, a fine-tooth comb. I think I see a shadow there at the bottom of the sea. Well, who was the actress who claimed that uh, she knew where it landed? I can't remember. Sort of a B actress. And uh, was totally discredited because it didn't end up in the Himalayas or somewhere like that. Uh, it was just a, a false flag kind of a thing or whatever. All right. Well, uh, you know, we'll move away from that disaster on to other matters here in a moment. It's the Oakley Show at Global News Radio 640 Toronto.